0: Invite you to turn with me to our text today, as is found in Luke 15, <clears throat> verses 18 through 24. I'm sorry, verses 11, <clears throat> starting with verse 11, and then reading. Through to the uh, end of the chapter. Luke 15, 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country... And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is live again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field and as he came and drew nigh to the house, He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Our God indeed is a holy God who cannot approve of sin and who does judge the wicked and the rebellious. But let no one ever think that he will be severe, that he will be harsh, or disinterested, even with the chief of sinners who casts himself or herself at the feet of the Lord Jesus, pleading for mercy. And for forgiveness. Dear ones, when we truly understand the mercy and the love of God, it does not make us proud. It does not make us rebellious. It does not make us apathetic and disinterested to such a glorious God. But rather, when we truly understand the mercy and the love of God, it humbles us and brings us to our knees to freely receive by faith alone his forgiveness for all of our sins. When we truly understand God's love, dear ones, it will have the effect of melting our hard hearts, removing our pride and our self-righteousness in order that we might freely and sacrificially serve our Lord Jesus Christ and serve one another. There is perhaps not a more sublime expression of God's love and mercy portrayed in any of Christ's parables than the one that we have just read, which is known as the parable of the prodigal son. But really, it's the parable of the two sons, uh, the lawless son and the jealous son. Let's consider together the following main points. First of all, the father's love and the lawless son. And the second main point, the father's correction and the jealous son. So the first main point, the father's love and the lawless son in verses 18 and verses 11 through 24. The context as we begin looking at this parable, the context of this parable is basically given to us in verses 1 and 2 of this 15th chapter of Luke, where it says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And so in this parable, there are two groups of people that are represented. First group are represented by the younger of the two sons. The lawless son represents the lawless publicans or tax collectors. And the sinners or uh, simply a euphemism for harlots and prostitutes. The second group of people, uh, represented by the older son, would then, and the jealous son, would be the jealous and the self righteous Pharisees and religious leaders. So, in this parable, so we consider first the lawless son. The younger son, we're told, approached his father one day with basically a very unthankful, disrespectful demand. In verse 12, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Now, there was no obligation uh, on the part of the Father uh, to give anything to the Son at that time. Uh, The last will and testament would become effective once the father died but to demand that at this point there was no obligation on the part of the father to give that to him but he does give it to his son uh, and uh, he basically turns over his son to his son's own selfish and willful and rebellious desires at that point And soon after obtaining uh, his portion of the inheritance, uh, this son journeyed to a far distant country. The younger son wanted the benefits of the inheritance of his loving father, but he did not want the oversight of his father. He did not want to have to give due honor unto his loving Father. He wanted his so-called freedom to do whatever he wanted to do, to pursue his own dreams, his own friends, his own Happiness without any accountability at all to his loving Father. You see, dear ones, uh, this is indeed the trap and the snare of the world that says that if we disregard those who are in authority over us and do what we want to do, we will enjoy freedom. We'll have freedom. But that, again, is not true freedom, as we see from the parable. It is, it's bondage. It's bondage, not freedom, to do what we want to do that is contrary to that which is good for us and which a loving Father uh, would give to us to do and which a loving Heavenly Father has laid down for us in His holy commandments. What was the result then to this young son? The younger son, as we see in verse 13, lost that inheritance by riotous living, literally wasteful living. That's why this parable is called the prodigal son. Uh, Prodigal means wasteful. So this is a, a parable oftentimes that is simply identified uh, by the one son, the prodigal son. But actually, as I said, it's a, it's a parable about two sons. And we, we, I think, do the parable an injustice when we leave off uh, the second son and what happened in that particular case. How he wasted his inheritance, we're not specifically told, whether by constant parties, by buying expensive gifts uh, to purchase uh, friendship with those that were in the land, um, by living simply beyond his means by way of some um, fanciful, uh, fanciful uh, type of... Uh, Investment doesn't say how he lost his money. But when his inheritance was gone, his friends, so-called friends, deserted him. He was all alone, and he was far from home. To make things worse, uh, we're told in the parable that a great famine arose at that time in the land. And he began to experience something that up to that point he had never experienced before. Hunger. True hunger. A need for clothing, a need for shelter, a refuge, friends, family. All these he had had previously. And when his inheritance and when that famine came uh, and his inheritance was dissolved, the only job that he could find was feeding swine, feeding pigs, according to verses 14 through 16. You know, this is, for a Jew, the bottom of the barrel. Couldn't get much lower than that. Uh, pigs were... Uh, uh, as you know from the Old Testament, dietary laws were unclean animals. They were not only not to eat them, being unclean, they were not to touch them, and yet here he is eating their food. He, doesn't even, he can't even make enough money uh, to, uh, to buy ordinary food. He has to eat the very food that he is throwing out to the pigs. He had lost everything, everything. But this is exactly where he needed to be in order to be humbled and to be turned to the mercy of God, to the mercy of his Father. And it was at that point, at his lowest, that he was awakened to his unthankful and his rebellious heart. He remembered how loving, he remembered how good his father was to even the servants within the household in providing for all of their needs, let alone to him as a son. And yet here he was in hunger, eating the very food of pigs that he was throwing out, to them. And so he was given as the as the parable goes on, he was given a heart to behold the love, to behold the goodness of his father which he had so wickedly despised. He was given a heart to confess his sin, to repent, to humble himself with a repentant heart and a willingness to serve as he says, as even a mere servant within his father's household in verses 18 through 19. You see, all sinners, without exception, must come to the father with such a humble expression of their own unworthiness, their need of the father's mercy and goodness and see that what they are the way they are living is comparable to eating pigs food their corruption their sin is equivalent to that in comparison to the inheritance that the father has for those who turn and flee unto him at this point the believing and repentant son was moved beyond a mere profession of faith and resolution to return he actually does so in verse 20 he arose and came to his father and so he began his long trek home leaving his father's house was easy He had plenty of money, he had plenty of food, clothing, could stay at the nice places to stay. But what a different sight was this young man now as he returns home. Penniless, thinner, weak, filthy, and no doubt smelling awful. This is a picture, dear ones, of what the world, the flesh, and the devil will do to those who flee from the loving care and constraints of a kind and merciful and loving Heavenly Father. That's what the world will do to those who flee from the Lord Jesus, thinking that they are going to pursue their freedom. Yes, the world, the flesh, and the devil tempt and they tantalize and and offer great promises of fame and fortune and friends, but their promises are vain and empty lies. The father then, as the parable continues, the the father is the one who apparently first sees the son afar off in the distance according to verse 20 and rather than the son surprising a disinterested uncaring father who hasn't given a second thought to his son since he left with his inheritance the father has been earnestly lovingly waiting for the return of his dear son the son no doubt surely deserved the disinterested apathy of his father in the way he had treated his father, and far worse than mere disinterested apathy. But let us see with the eye of faith and the love, let us see the love of the father that awaited the son who had shown him such disrespect such dishonor, such unthankfulness, such rebellion against his Father. Let us behold, in other words, the true nature of God's love. It is not bestowed upon the deserving, but upon the undeserving, that none of us might boast in ourselves before God that we deserve God's mercy, that we deserve God's love. The loving father, upon seeing his son, was filled with compassion and pity for his son, and he ran as quickly as his feet could carry him to his son, falling on his son's neck, embracing his son kissing his son, not once, but the verb that's used here implies he kissed him again and again and again and again. Dear ones, the parable teaches us here that God, as it were, will run with love and kisses to you where you can only limp back or even crawl back to him on your hands and your feet due to the effects that sin has had upon your life. He runs to you. He picks you up. He caresses. He kisses. Here's a beautiful and a glorious picture of the most holy God Falling upon the neck of a repentant sinner and kissing him with many kisses of love and affection. With many kisses of love and affection for this rebel son who had wasted, had wasted in sin all that the Father had given unto him. And in spite of his grotesque appearance and his hideous odor, the father is overwhelmed with compassion for this repentant son. The son could barely get out of his mouth the words of his confession because the father was so incessantly kissing, weeping upon him, holding him close. The humbled son, at this point, not gloating in his own goodness, but basking in the undeserved love of his father, confesses his sin and his unworthiness at this point to his father, and says, Father, I'm no longer deserving, worthy to be called thy son. In verse 21, the son recognizes his own unworthiness of such love, of such mercy. But his father calls for his son to be clothed with robes, have a ring put upon his finger, shoes upon his feet, and to kill the fatted calf in order to have a feast of rejoicing for this undeserving son in verses 22 through 24. Here the son had sold his birthright for a bowl of soup to satisfy the lusts and desires of his flesh. But he has now received the love and the goodness and the forgiveness of his father in Zephaniah 3:17 we read the lord thy god in the midst of thee is mighty he will save he will rejoice over thee with joy he will rest in his love he will joy over thee with singing That's the God that we serve. That's the love that he has for us who are undeserving of that love. Think of the eternal God, dear ones, singing over you, rejoicing over you. And remember that it's because a lawless sinner has returned to him that he sings God rejoices, dear ones, over one rebellious sinner who turns to him. Even one who has wasted all that God gave to him. That's what the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ has accomplished in reconciliation, in reconciling us to God and God to us. First, he needed to be reconciled to us because of our sin against him. But Christ's sacrificial death has reconciled him to us so that he's no longer a judge that condemns us. He's a father that has been reconciled to us. And then we needed to be reconciled to him and the removal of the guilt of our sin and the imputation of righteousness to our account has brought about that reconciliation once and for all. Now I ask you, dear ones, as you hear this portion of the parable, is this the working concept that you have of God, the God you serve, the God that you profess to believe in? Is that the working concept that you have of God and of his love Or are you rather waiting for God's wrath and condemnation to fall? If you, even if you repent of your sin and flee to the Lord for his forgiveness, if you're still waiting for his wrath and condemnation to fall upon you. Perhaps you were baptized, raised in a Christian home, professed faith in Jesus Christ, and yet you, you chased your dreams in this world and you journeyed farther and farther, farther from the Father in your heart, in your ambitions, and in the friends that you have chosen. Perhaps you have taken the gifts and the abilities that God has given to you to be used for His glory and you've wasted them. And you've rather chosen to spend them merely upon your own dreams and your own ambitions. Maybe giving lip service to the Lord, but having little to no desire for the loving care and constraints of God the Father and his commandments over you. The question this parable asks is this Will you come to your senses and see the misery that you have chosen? For yourself by pursuing your own selfish dreams and indulging the lusts of the flesh, and rather turn in faith to a loving Father and a reconciling Savior who will receive you. Even with nothing that you have to commend yourself at all before Him, He will receive you. In fact, there is nothing that we can recommend to commend ourselves. That's the point. None of us. And he will bestow when we do so. He will bestow upon us all the loving tokens of our sonship, of our inheritance, the chief being the garment of righteousness of Christ, and then the seal of the Holy Spirit as that ring was placed upon the Son's finger, the seal of the Holy Spirit, that we belong to him, that seal. And then the shoes to be placed upon our feet, shoes to walk in loving obedience to God's commandments and precious invitations to come to the feast, to enjoy communion with him now and for all eternity. As struggling Christians, we, dear ones, we all need to see. We all need to understand. We all need to experience this love. That this parable speaks of the love of the Father for us. Even when we miserably fail him and fall into that same awful besetting sin that we've fallen into many times before. Even when we drift away from Christ, our first love, or feel overwhelmed by the trials of this life, that we even despair of life itself. This parable teaches us, come. Come with sincere repentance to a Father who will shower you with his kisses, of everlasting love and receive you back into his feast of joy and delight. This is also the love, dear ones, that is mirrored here. Not only vertically, but the love that we are to have horizontally for one another. If that's how God has treated us, how are we to treat one another? do we deny that love by the love and the way we show love or the lack of love toward one another? The second main point, much shorter, briefer, the father's correction and the jealous son in verses 25 through 32, which we have already read. Just as the younger son here represents the lawless sinners, that is the libertines of that time, the tax collectors, uh, the prostitutes and harlots, the younger son represents them among the people of Israel. So the elder son represents the jealous and self-righteous sinners among the people of Israel, the Pharisees and the scribes, as we have already noted in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. It so happens that in the parable that the older son had been working in the fields and as he came close to home, He heard the joyful music, the singing, uh, the music that was played to dancing, uh, and this feast that was going on. And he asked one of the servants, what was the meaning of this feast? What's happened? And it was explained to him that his brother that had... Taken his inheritance into a far-off country, had returned home, and that his father had made a great feast of joy and celebration for him, in verses 26 through 27. The older brother did not want to go in to join the, those who were celebrating, those who were filled with joy delight, He stayed outside and finally the father came out and sought to reason with his son, but to no avail. In verse 28, we read that the older son was was filled with jealousy and anger and would not go in to join that joyous celebration. Rather than rejoicing with those who were rejoicing, And even rejoicing with the angels in heaven that one had returned. The older son was jealous with anger at their joy shown over his brother's return. Why? Because he says, No one, basically, no one has ever done this for me, even though I have worked in the fields, and I have never left, but no one has ever done that for me. In verses 29 through 30. You see, the older son regarded the father's joy over the return of his lawless son from a mere perspective of merit. The younger son did not deserve such a celebration but I do deserve such a celebration, Father. The older son despised the fact that the father had shown such love and mercy and grace toward his younger brother. How many, dear ones, how many fallen brethren and sinners have been turned away from Christ throughout the centuries rather than helped because of jealous, self-righteous sons within the professing church of Jesus Christ. The father here discounts the older brother's idea of merit As being the reason for rejoicing, the father appeals to his older son not to look in jealousy or pride to his own worthiness and works of righteousness as the ground of blessing, but rather to look in joy and delight to the mercy and love of the father who bestows the inheritance of sons upon those who know that they are all unworthy of that inheritance the father employs implores his his uh, jealous son in effect by saying am i not worth far more as your father am i not worth far more than a fatted calf am i not for, worth far more than all the friends and all of the, joy, the rejoicing in that feast, am I not worth more? You have me. Always. You have me always. Am I not enough for you to be a faithful son and to rejoice when a fallen son returns? And so the father pleads with his older son. It's fitting that we rejoice and that we be glad because the son that was thought to be dead is alive. The son that was thought to be lost is found. Sadly, there's no indication here that the older brother was humbled, humbled over his more aggravated sin of jealousy and self-righteousness for which he did not repent. That was a far more aggravated sin than the sin of the younger brother, his own jealousy, his own self-righteousness. This older son your ones is us when we remain embittered against those who have offended us. Should we rejoice or should we be jealous, dear ones, that the thief on the cross who basically lived his whole life as a criminal in the last few minutes of his life was shown the mercy of God? Should we be critical of that or do we rejoice in that, that God showed mercy? Ought not, dear ones, that mercy to be extended even to the chief of sinners who offend us? If God's mercy can save the chief of sinners, God's mercy can save me. And in that I rejoice. In this parable as we conclude in this parable Jesus reveals that the great sins that keep one from coming into God's feast of mercy love and forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ are not the ones we tend to fixate upon murder sexual sins theft, lying but according to this parable the aggravated sins that keep one from coming to enjoy this feast of mercy, love and forgiveness are rather pride and jealousy and self-righteousness. Jesus, dear ones, came not to heal those who think they're healthy. And well, Jesus came to heal those who know that they are sick, that they are sinners, that they have spent that which God has given to them upon all manner of sinful things and yet fall at the feet of the Father, and the Father picks them up and caresses and kisses and weeps upon them coming unto him. Regardless of our sins, dear ones, we all need the same Savior. Regardless of our sins, we all need the same mercy and grace and love And regardless of our sins, we all receive the same inheritance from the Father through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Do you believe? Do you believe in your own heart as you consider what I'm about to ask? Do you believe that when you flee to God, you will find him waiting to beat you and condemn you? or do you believe in your own heart that when you flee to God when you flee in repentance for your sin that you will find him running to meet you throwing his arms around you kissing you with one kiss after another everyone's let us not believe the lie of satan that God is just waiting to smack us and condemn us. He does discipline us in love for, for sin, that is true, but He chastens us as one who loves us, not as one who is ready to destroy us and hate it and, and, and condemn us because He hates us. But we can either, again, believe the lie of Satan here that God is just re- waiting to condemn us if we flee to him in repentance, or we can believe the truth of Jesus Christ and what is revealed. I urge you, let us not walk by sight or by feeling, but let us walk by faith in the truth which the Lord has revealed to us even in the parable This beloved parable that Jesus gave to us for our instruction, for our help at all times. Please stand with me in prayer. We thank Thee, our Lord, for the power of this parable and showing, Lord, to us a Father who is ready to receive wayward, rebellious sons and daughters. Lord, we praise Thee that there is. There is one who will not push us away when we come unto him, pleading for thy mercy, recognizing our sin and confessing our sin, falling at thy feet. That there is one who will pick us up and and love us and show to us that mercy. We pray, our our God, that that is the one to whom we will flee in all of our trouble. Lord, we will not find that in the world. We will not find that true love and the help that we truly need to be able to press on and to continue to persevere from the world, the flesh, or the devil. Again, it promises so much, but it delivers nothing, Lord, but that which is superficial, that which passes away very quickly. So, Father, we come to Thee today, and we confess our need of Thee. We confess, Lord, Thou art our Father who loves us as His own beloved children. Lord, if there is anyone who is lost, who yet is lost, who is dead, as it were, in trespasses and sins, Lord, give to them, even now, that grace to be able to behold thy goodness and thy mercy in Jesus Christ and to flee unto thee. Lord, we pray that thou would hear the prayers of thy people who have fallen, all of us who have fallen. Lord, we thank thee for thine encouragement even now and pray that we would not soon forget the truth which thou hast given unto us in thy word today, but we would meditate and reflect upon it and that, Lord, we would change the way we think about thee and that it would have the effect of making us not proud, but humble before thee. And be thy humble servants to go forth and keep thy commandments and to serve one another and to show that love to one another. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.